For the first time, nations from the Indo-Pacific region will join a NATO meeting, all because of China. Beijing may have realized it's gone too far. A special envoy from China expressed the sentiment during a special trip to Europe. We look at what's happening. Beijing's mouthpiece is taking aim at the upcoming NATO summit. That's by making use of a tweet circulating online. In a summit between the world's five largest developing countries, China helped Russia return to the international stage. It marks the first time since Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. And Shanghai residents speak up against repeated lockdowns. But authorities recently stepped in to stifle a public demonstration. Locals say it's become hard to survive in the city. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Major Western countries will meet in the coming days to discuss issues impacting global economy and stability. The next G7 summit features leaders from major democratic powers. It's around the corner, as is the next meeting of NATO, the military alliance between North America and Europe. On the discussion table, Russia's invasion and concerns about China. Here are the details. I think it's a reflection of our allies' equal concerns over the effect of Chinese economic practices, use of forced labor, intellectual theft, um, and, uh, and coercive, aggressive behavior, uh, not just in the region, but elsewhere around the world, uh, that they believe it's important to, to factor China into the new strategic concept. The Chinese communist regime is expected to be a key issue in the upcoming G7 and NATO summits. Reflecting NATO's new focus, leaders from the Indo-Pacific region like Australia, Japan, New Zealand and South Korea will participate in the summit for the first time. President Biden will head to Madrid for the NATO summit next Wednesday. That's after meeting with other G7 leaders in Germany starting this weekend. At last year's G7 meeting in England, Biden announced that the leaders agreed to propose infrastructure projects in the developing world. Those projects would counter Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative. The Belt and Road has been criticized as a form of debt trap diplomacy. It's been known to saddle developing nations with unsustainable debt levels while bolstering Beijing's political and economic clout in those countries. A spokesperson for the Chinese Foreign Ministry on Thursday accused NATO of spreading what he called disinformation against China. He also called NATO a tool that the U.S. uses to preserve its hegemony and control Europe's security. The NATO bloc has 30 member states, including the U.S., Canada and all major Western European countries. American companies in China say a new U.S. law might cause uncertainty and raise product costs. That's for goods made in the Xinjiang region. They're voicing concerns that the move could shake up global supply chains. The U.S. is no longer importing goods from the region. The Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act went into effect on Tuesday. The act was signed into law by President Biden last year. Under the rule, no goods made in Xinjiang will be allowed into the U.S. unless the importer can provide clear and convincing evidence that no forced labor was used. But manufacturer says it's nearly impossible to provide that evidence and that in the long run, the law could lead to more supply chains leaving China. 
Has the Chinese regime realized it has gone too far? One European business leader says yes. And on top of that, another expert, Frederick Kemp, president of the Atlantic Council think tank, made a statement about the issue in an op-ed to CNBC. In it, he said Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping's zero COVID-19 policy is flailing. China's economy is dangerously slowing, and its support of Russia opposes its claim of being the world's premier national sovereignty champion. Kemp went on to say this is the reason why Xi Jinping recently dispatched a special envoy to Europe for a three-week tour to do damage control. That's ahead of a critical meeting of the Chinese Communist Party Congress later this fall. Beijing's special envoy had admitted China had made mistakes. In its handling of COVID-19, its wolf warrior diplomacy, and its economic mismanagement. This was reiterated at every stop in the Europe trip. European business leaders understood the gesture as a desire from China to change the tone of the story. All that said, does Beijing really understand it has gone too far? Now Beijing is spreading disinformation about the upcoming NATO summit. Here's what happened. An internet user posted on Twitter about a massive protest in Belgium. The tweet says 70,000 workers marched through Brussels to protest rising costs. The tweet went viral, racking up over 1 million views. And it caught the attention of Beijing's media mouthpiece, the Global Times. The outlet retweeted the post. And even though the protest was against rising costs, Global Times said it was against NATO. It added that the crowds were protesting against both the rising costs as well as condemning NATO's rush to arm Ukraine. On top of the tweet, Global Times also published an article about the protest, repeating the same narrative. The article says the Belgian protesters are asking their government to spend the money on people's salaries, not arms. And it's not just the Global Times. A Chinese diplomat also retweeted the post, agreeing the protest was against NATO. A Belgian lawmaker later took to Twitter in response to criticize the Chinese regime for spreading what he called propaganda about the protest. The 2022 BRICS summit has just come to a close. Its member nations include five of the world's largest developing countries, Brazil, Russia, China, India and South Africa. Now, after helping Russia return to the international stage, China is accusing Western sanctions on Russia of bringing harm to people. Here's the story. The BRICS summit hosted by China concluded this Wednesday. India, along with Russia, Brazil and South Africa, addressed the summit via video link. The core theme of this summit was global economic recovery post-pandemic. For the very first time, Russia's President Putin returned to the international stage after Moscow invaded Ukraine. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping decried the sanctions the West has imposed on Russia. He described them as weaponizing the global economy and said they would bring harm to the people of the world. Xi went on to add, quote, The tragedies of the past tell us that hegemony, group politics, and bloc confrontation bring no peace or security. They only lead to wars and conflicts. According to a CNN report, Xi's sentences come across as vague criticism toward the United States and NATO, both of which the Chinese Communist Party has blamed for the Ukraine war. What's more, Putin said Russia is redirecting its trade to what he calls reliable international partners, including BRICS countries. Indian Prime Minister Modi responded. 
BRICS was established with the belief that the group of growing economies could emerge as engines of global growth. Today, when the world is focusing on post-COVID-19 recovery, the role of BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, countries will be very important. Also during the meeting, the Chinese regime made two new proposals, a free trade mode and an alternative currency, which would replace the U.S. dollar among the five BRICS countries. China and Russia are both facing various tariffs or sanctions in their trade with the U.S. and the European Union. It remains to be seen whether the summit will boost ties among the five nations and promote economic development between them. The man allegedly responsible for a church shooting in California last month has been charged with hate crimes. The church in Orange County is known for its support of Taiwan's independence. Let's hear more. Orange County prosecutors have accused 68-year-old David Wenwei Cho of hate crimes. He allegedly killed one person and wounded five in a shooting at a Taiwanese-American church on May 15th. Orange County Sheriff Don Barnes characterized the shooting as a politically motivated hate incident and specifically targeted the Taiwanese community. Barnes said Cho left notes in Chinese in his car stating he did not believe Taiwan should be independent from China. The Taiwanese Presbyterian Church is known for its support of pro-independence causes. Authorities said Cho opened fire on a lunch gathering. Dr. John Chung fought back and was fatally shot. Five others were hospitalized but survived. A visiting pastor pushed the gunman to the floor, then, with the help of other parishioners, hogtied him using an electrical cord. Prosecutors added hate crime enhancements against Cho for each of the five counts of attempted murder. According to court records, Cho could face the death penalty if convicted on all charges. He has not entered a plea. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. Shanghai residents are standing up in protest of repeated virus-driven lockdowns. Another demonstration happened on Tuesday in the city's large suburban Minghang district. Residents and pandemic control workers were seen pushing against each other from either sides of a barrier. Residents won a brief victory and managed to get out of the area which workers had cordoned off. Soon, a large number of enforcement workers in uniform arrived on the scene, eventually sealing residents back into their residential communities. Many in the city have voiced despair over the situation and say they can no longer stay in Shanghai. Here's what one taxi driver had to say during a carpool. Please contact me if you want to go back to your hometown in Huainan City, Anhui Province. Four seats are available. I'll go back to my hometown. He said he can no longer survive in Shanghai. They lock us down constantly, seal this residential community inside today and lock that down tomorrow. They told people to resume work and production, but people are all sealed inside. How can they resume work and production? Who knows when there will be a lockdown again? People are afraid. Shanghai authorities announced two new COVID-19 infections had been found as of Monday. Because of it, they designated large areas in the city as mid-level risk zones for catching the virus and launched another widespread lockdown. Even residents from nearby communities outside these zones are mandated to get tested for the infection regularly. COVID-19 tests for all once a week. It always feels weird, like being stuck in the middle. Work resumption is half done, half resumed, half closed. They need COVID-19 test proof everywhere. Test results from within 72 hours. 
Shanghai authorities claim to have lifted lockdown measures earlier this month. But a number of restrictions and lockdowns in some areas are still in place. Wang explained that 14-day quarantine is still mandatory for intercity travelers, paid at their own expense. He added there's still a long way to go until the city gets fully back to normal. Information on COVID-19 may be disappearing from Chinese publications. Last week's issue of a Chinese official medical journal appeared to rescind an article about the Omicron variant. As for the information in the article, it said research from 19 Chinese medical experts shows that out of 33,000 Omicron patients, significantly less than one-tenth of a percent of them experienced serious symptoms. The lead doctor of the study, Dr. Zhang Wenhong, commented on the variant earlier in May, saying the inflammation caused by Omicron is even less severe than that caused by the flu. But China appeared to silence those details, as the article has been taken down from sources across the country. Around the world, more and more countries are gradually resuming normal life, and people are exploring ways to coexist with the virus in low numbers. But China has held firm to a different direction, as its strict zero-COVID-19 policy seeks to completely eradicate the virus from its borders. What's more, while many regions in China are easing virus-related restrictions, major cities like Beijing, Shanghai and Shenzhen are sinking into lockdowns once again. Shenzhen is a manufacturing hub known as the world's factory. There, 500 elementary school pupils were transferred to a quarantine center Thursday night, with only one parent permitted to join each child, all because one student's COVID-19 test result came back positive. At the same time, some districts and residential compounds there are still facing lockdown orders. Coming up, automaker Tesla's factories in Berlin and Texas are losing billions of dollars, while the blame is falling on supply chain disruptions in China. And another blow for Chinese telecom giant Huawei and its 5G equipment. This time, it's coming from a court in Europe. We're on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Tesla CEO Elon Musk said that the automaker's factories in Texas and Berlin are currently gigantic money furnaces. They are losing billions of dollars because of a holdup at Tesla's China factory. Indeed's Chenny Wu tells us more. Tesla's new car factories in Texas and Berlin are losing billions of dollars, according to CEO Elon Musk. They're struggling to increase production because of supply chain problems, especially in China. But both Berlin and Austin factories are gigantic money furnaces right now. Yeah. Okay. There should be like a giant roaring sound, which is the sound of money on fire. <laughs> Tesla started production at the factories in Berlin and Texas earlier this year, both of which are critical to the top electric car maker. Musk said Tesla's Texas factory is producing a puny number of cars, as the tools to make its conventional batteries are stuck in China. China's strict zero-COVID-19 policy resulted in the shutdown of Tesla's Shanghai Gigafactory, which Musk described as very, very difficult for the company. We've just been trying to keep the factories operating the last couple of years has been a very difficult thing. 
um, and like supply chain interruptions have been severe, yeah. uh, like extremely severe. Lauren Fix is an automotive expert at Car Coach Reports. She says the factory shutdown not only affected car production at Tesla's Shanghai factory, but also at plants across the globe. You're seeing the whole automotive industry getting squashed with a loss of somewhere around four and a half million cars just here in the U.S. and globally substantially more. That's because the whole production process is heavily dependent on China. We've transferred much of our assembly of these components, including batteries, to China, and now we're beholden to them. According to Reuters, Tesla plans to suspend most production at its Shanghai plant in the first two weeks of July. That's to work on an upgrade for the site to boost output. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Chinese telecom giant Huawei is taking another hit. A Swedish appeals court upheld a ruling by a lower court on a Huawei case this week. That is, to ban the company from selling 5G equipment in the country. Here are the details. In 2020, Swedish telecom regulator PTS banned Huawei from supplying 5G equipment to Swedish mobile firms. That was over national security concerns. Huawei challenged the ban in court. Last year, a lower court confirmed the ban. The issue arose after the U.S. alleged Beijing could use Huawei equipment for spying, and European countries followed suit. Sweden had asked its telecom companies to remove gear made by Huawei and another Chinese company, ZTE, from core functions before 2025. Huawei said it was disappointed by the verdict. Sweden's tussle with Huawei has also led to Swedish telecom giant Ericsson facing backlash in China. Its revenue from China dropped to around 3% of its total, down from over 10%. And the lineup of countries that have banned Huawei is still getting longer. Canada banned Huawei from its 5G network last month, meaning the list now includes all members of the Five Eyes Intelligence Network. Almost one in four European businesses operating in China plan to leave the country. This based on a survey by the European Union Chamber of Commerce in China. Based on the survey, 23% of European companies that responded share the same concern, shifting investments out of China. And the number of companies doing or planning to do so has hit a decade high. Under China's strict zero COVID-19 policy and a number of lockdowns, the situation has deteriorated for foreign companies in China. From January to April, foreign industrial companies saw a profit drop of 16% much greater than the 0.6% drop felt by their private Chinese counterparts. What's more, state-run Chinese firms even saw profits rise almost 14% during that time. Even though many cities are easing their curbs, a recent COVID-19 outbreak in Beijing brought lockdowns and restrictions back to the city. The problem is, no one knows if or when the country will shut down again. China's zero COVID-19 policy seeks to completely eradicate the virus from within its borders, often through strict lockdowns, mass testing for residents, and quarantine rules. But those shutdowns have stifled industry. And Vice President of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China says the world does not wait for China. So what's the next destination for the European companies leaving China? The survey puts Europe at the top of the list, with 19% of European companies heading there after exiting China, followed by North America and South Asia. 
In protecting national security, South Korea says it will not give an inch and that cooperating with advanced countries like the U.S. is a good option for the country. A South Korean defense industry expert shares his thoughts on the statement. South Korea successfully sent satellites into orbit after launching its first domestically developed rocket on Tuesday. That makes it the seventh nation in the world to develop a space launch vehicle that can carry a satellite weighing more than one ton into orbit. Its achievement follows the U.S., the EU, Japan, Russia, China and India. Woo Sok Che is the president of Korea Association of Defense Industry Studies. He shared his thoughts with NTD on the importance of the defense industry, especially facing Beijing's threat. First and foremost, Che says the defense industry is the core power to prevent wars. And from an economic point of view, he calls it a win-win industry. The defense industry must be maintained no matter what, even if the economy declines. And this industry is economically efficient and at the same time exportable. Che says South Korea plays an important role keeping communist China in check, and that the country has a special role in doing so. Let's just say that we need to be part of the U.S.'s big plan. We'll do the parts that we can do, and the parts that require U.S. support will be done by the United States. South Korea comes in at number six in the world in terms of military strength versus North Korea's 30th place. When asked about how South Korea measures up, Che says numbers cannot predict the real war scenario. He added that rather than feeling at ease over the gap between South and North Korean rankings, it's better to build a safer environment and raise the peace index on the Korean peninsula. Meanwhile, he suggests militaries should always be prepared. Thorough preparations, repeated confirmations and training. We haven't been training for some time. Without training, the soldier does not know what to do in the battlefield, despite the high value of military strength. And this extends beyond troops on land and sea. Che suggests that South Korea should also cooperate with the U.S. on its space defense efforts. The space industry has a very promising market in the future. Such industries need continuous investments and to work together with advanced countries. And our country will have an advantage on cost effectiveness. As to the mid-range missiles South Korea is developing, which can reach Beijing, Che says they're a must-have for South Korea to defend itself, no matter how China reacts. In fact, Seoul is already within the reach of communist China's missiles. In order to protect our country, we especially should not look at the face of the Chinese Communist Party. Since we are in the range of North Korea's missiles, we need to defend it. It's a matter of rights of freedom, so don't offend us. We need to be tough on this. He went on to say that South Korea must take a strong stance on national security issues. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow.